0: This week, I think I got the bulletin right. Our new Pew Bibles, you can follow. Now we have a little grid over there on the right side. Our Old Testament lesson comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 9 and 18 to 31. And this can be found on page 586 in our standard Pew Bibles. Or if you have on a large print, if you're sitting closest to the center aisle, uh, that's where those are found. That'll be on page uh, 1120. To make sure, if you're using the Pew Bibles, that you are actually at the right location as we're reading. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for calling us to this place at this time. Lord, you have brought us from many different places. And we have come for a variety of reasons of our own, but Lord, we know that you have a purpose for us. So God, we ask that you would help us to hear your word this morning as it is read and proclaimed, that you would give us ears that are open, you give us minds that are receptive, and that you give us hearts that are softened, that are ready to receive your message, and to be changed by your word and your spirit into the people that you've created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 6. as a voice says, "'Cry out!' And I said, "'What shall I cry?' "'All people are like grass, "'and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. "'The grass withers and the flowers fall, "'because the breath of the Lord blows on them. "'Surely the people are grass. "'The grass withers and the flowers fall, "'but the word of our God endures forever.'" You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Skipping down to verse 18. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, than he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name, because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Our New Testament lesson can be found in in Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 13. Page 921 in the Pew Bibles, or 1764 of the large print. Romans 15, 1 to 13. And Paul, as he comes to a conclusion, nears the conclusion of his letter to the church in Rome, says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarch might be confirmed, and moreover, that Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing the praises of your name, Again, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning we are actually at the fifth sermon in a series on evangelism, evangelism being sharing the good news of Jesus. And so if this is your first week here and you feel like, well, if this is the fifth week, I'm already, I'm already so far behind that I'll just check out now mentally, don't do that. I'll catch you up really fast. If you'll look in your bulletin, you'll see that we have been using an acronym for REACH as we look at what it looks like to REACH our uh, friends and neighbors for the gospel. <clears throat> and so we use the letters of REACH, R-E-A-C-H. And uh, we started by with the letter R standing for remember. And what we are to remember is that we don't save people. We don't. We can't. But that's not our job. We remember that God saves people. And so as we... Share the good news with others. We remember that it's, it's his work to actually save people. That our job is simply to introduce people to Jesus. As we'll see <clears throat> even later this morning. So remember, God saves people. E is we are to engage others. When we look at Jesus and the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman who um, had a lot of strikes against her, he could have gone through the entire interaction with no interaction. They could have both been there at the well, she could have done her thing, he could have done his, and never spoken to each other, which actually would have been expected. But Jesus takes the initiative, and he begins conversation with her. And in this, he doesn't, I'm going to kind of in this sermon keep talking about telling people about Jesus. I'm not suggesting that the way to do that is by approaching somebody and saying, just out of the blue, can I talk to you about Jesus? That's... That's generally not well-received. And Jesus doesn't even begin that way. So He doesn't sit there at the well with the woman and say, Hey, can I tell you who I am? And he gets around to that. He does tell her who he is by the end of the conversation. But at the beginning, he says, You know, will you give me a drink of water? Very average, ordinary conversation. But he takes the initiative and he begins conversation. He begins the interaction with her. So that was letter E. R, remember God saves people. E is to engage people. We are still to engage, even though God saves, we are to engage uh, people. Uh, three, that's the letter A for accept. Like I said, Jesus talks to this woman who he didn't have to talk to at all, and in fact, it was kind of shocking that he talked to her at all. She had three strikes against her. She was Samaritan. Jews did not associate with Samaritans. She was a woman. The men did not associate publicly with women. And three, uh, she was not a woman of good reputation. And so, as a good Jewish rabbi, he would have had plenty of reason to just steer clear of her. And yet, he doesn't. He still engages her because he accepts her for who she is, where she is. Not that she has everything right, but because... He knows and loves and cares about her, who she is. That is not the same thing, though. As it's accept, yes, but it does not necessarily mean affirming everything that she is currently doing and living for. In fact, her life is very much in the wrong direction. and That's why Jesus continues on. Letter C is challenge. So yes, he accepts her where she is. And yet there still needs to be the challenge that comes to live life in a new way, to have a new, um, a new life, a new, new desires, a change of heart, and a change of the, uh, the power to live a new life. Those are the things that we have talked about last four weeks. If you have missed those and want a bit more detail than you just got in that, you know, 90 second rundown, they're all online. We do have a new podcast, by the way. You can Check that out. Um, but this week, we're looking at the final letter, the letter H, which stands for hope. That is a word that you may have already heard uh, about 27 times this morning. It's been in most of our songs. It's been in most of the, uh, the prayers and call to worship and, um, and in the other scripture readings. We just keep seeing this word, hope. Come back again and again. And that's what we're looking at. The final the final letter is hope, uh, H, which stands for hope. And we see this in the conclusion of the story of Jesus talking with the woman at the well, which can be found in John chapter 4, verses 27 through 42. If you'll turn there, it's page 863 or 1653. That's right. Jesus has just declared to her who he is. She's said that the, uh, the Messiah is going to come, and when he comes, he'll explain everything. She's tried dodging every way she can. And he has declared to her, I, the one who s- am speaking to you, I am he. I'm who? The Messiah. And then picking up in verse 27, it says, Just then his disciples returned, and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or, Why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar... The woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it is still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for, Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world." When the disciples returned and found Jesus talking with a woman, they were surprised. You can imagine the shock as they approach and the conversation. It says they don't say anything, um, but no one asked him why. What is she want? Why are you talking to her? But you have to imagine there's a little talking amongst themselves as they approached, a little whispering and elbow nudging. Hey. Jesus is talking to a woman at the well, which is traditionally this sort of place where, if you look back through the Old Testament, this is where a lot of uh, engagements took place for marriage. Maybe something's going on here. Maybe something's going on here. But they don't ask. They trust. And then, I don't know if you caught this part. In verse 28, it says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? There are two big things that happen in this one verse. One, she goes back and tells everybody. She is probably the most unlikely evangelist in the New Testament. If you were to ask all of the, uh, ask all the disciples ahead of time and say, there's going to be somebody, somebody, who's going to spread the word about Jesus throughout Samaria Who's it going to be? You know, They might start all listing their qualifications and their resumes as disciples and be like, well, I've been with Jesus for quite some time. I think I'm probably the guy for the job. Nope. Not one of those disciples. Not one of the twelve. In fact, not a man. In fact, not even a Jewish man. Not even a Jewish woman. And not even somebody who's in particularly good uh, standing with the community by way of reputation. So she had been... Uh, Married five times, and the man she was now living with, she wasn't even married to him. And yet, this is the person that Jesus approaches and is the one who then takes the message of Jesus to her whole community. The least likely evangelist. But isn't that how God works? Doesn't he always take the least likely, the one that you would never expect that he would reach out to, and he reaches out to them. The one you would never expect that he would send, and he sends them the one you would never expect that he would work through, and he works through them. So let me just say today, if you feel like I'm probably the least likely person that God's going to reach out to, make sure you read this verse again. That this person, the least likely one, goes and shares the news. Now, does she share everything? No. She doesn't give a sermon. She doesn't teach everything about who Jesus is. But she shares her excitement and she shares her hope. She shares what she does know. And then people come and see for themselves. The other thing I want you to see is the excitement that's obviously here. Did you notice it said at the beginning of that verse, then leaving her water jar? The woman went back to the town? Leaving her water jar? That's why she came to the well. Was to get water to take back. I don't... I don't get the impression that this is one of those, you know, kind of senior moments. Um, Oh, I have them too. Where she kind of forgets what she's doing and then, oh, gets back to town. I forgot the water jar. I got to go back. I think she was so caught up in the excitement of having just had this conversation with a man who told her everything about her, still accepted her. And then says, you know, no matter how she tries to dodge and get the uh, topic onto anything besides herself, it keeps coming back to who she is and where she is and where her heart is and where she needs to be challenged. And when she finally gets to the point of, well, the Messiah, he'll explain it all someday. We don't need to deal with this now. And then he says, I am that one. You are speaking to the Messiah right now, the one that the people of Israel have been waiting for and expecting and praying for, and hoping for, and anticipating for centuries. And he says, I'm talking to you right now. That's me. That's kind of a big day. And so in her excitement, she just kind of drops everything, drops what she's doing. The water that had been so important to her that she would come all the way carrying her jar to get this water, Jesus said, If you know me, I can be thirsty anymore. Obviously, he was talking about spiritual water, and yet, even in this instance, that physical, literal water seemed much farther down her priority list. Like that. Compared to speaking face to face with Jesus, and compared to then sharing that experience with others, I'll get water another time. This is. This has to happen now. And she runs back to town and she tells everybody, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Keep in mind, one of the kind of holdbacks that we have for sharing Jesus with others, you can tell me if you think I'm off on this, but it seems like one of the main reasons people don't is they're afraid of getting asked a question they can't answer. You can just nod your head if you feel like that's the case. You ever feel like, if you, well, if I start talking to somebody about Jesus, what if they ask a question I can't answer? <sighs> I think I'll just stay quiet then. There are a lot of questions this woman was not going to be able to answer. But that did not stop her from sharing what she did know. And what she knew is it wasn't up to her. It was not up to her to teach everything about Jesus to the people of Samaria. Her job was to say, come. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? One author, whose name escapes me at the moment, says that uh, hope is the proper response to the promises of God. The people have heard God's promises for hundreds of years. There was an expectation, and there was a hope. And when she runs back, to the people of her town. She doesn't care that she's the least likely evangelist. All she knows is that this hope may be realized. That there may not be a need to say, well, someday when he comes, then all this will No. She says he may be here right now. And there is a hope, and there is a joy. And the people does not say, by the way, that they went out or that she came out and said, you know, come see a man who told me everything he did. Could this be the Messiah? And they all, you know, repented in sackcloth and ashes and uh, turned their hearts to the Lord. And there was a great revival and a band played music. Um, none of that is in there. But what does happen is that the people come out of the town and made their way toward him. Who knows? This woman could be way off. This may be not the Messiah at all. All they have to go on is her word. But her sincerity and her excitement pique enough interest that they're at least going to check it out. They're going to go. And they're going to see who this Jesus is. And if he is, who this woman thinks he might be. And then as we get down to verse 39... Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. How much did she have to teach them? Very little. Very little. Her job was not to save the Samaritans, but to spread the word of the Savior to the Samaritans. This is our job. Not the Samaritan part, but the sharing Jesus part. Sharing the news of the Savior to people who need to hear the good news of a Savior. There's a lot of misconception in the world about what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus. So often it is confused with living a perfect life. That if you are living a perfect life, then God is pleased with you, and then you get kind of a ticket to heaven when you die. But that's not it. And people need to hear because people are trying, either trying to live a perfect life and constantly feeling the weight of, I just can't do it, but I've just got to try harder. I've got to try harder. Knowing they're always falling short. Or they're trying to live a perfect life. They realize how far short they're falling. And so they say, well, then forget this. And they give up. But that's not... The gospel. The gospel is, it's all by grace. It's not by what we do. We cannot earn our way to God but we, because we can't. We're in a position where we can't. That's why we need a Savior. Someone who can live that perfect life for us. Who can take the place that we deserve in death. Separation from God. That he can give us the life that he deserved. That we could have life with God forever. Starting not someday after we die, but even beginning here and now and going on until forever. It's all by grace, granting rewards apart from credit earned. It's not about what we earn or deserve. But like I say, so many people don't understand that. And they have a, a whole, whole different system in their head of what this looks like. Who's going to tell them otherwise? Are we going to let them continue to live lives in futility and frustration? Are we going to live, let them continue to live like the, uh, the Pharisees were content to do? You Remember the story with uh, the Good Samaritan? Nobody would have let those two words go together back then, but we don't have a problem with it. But anyway, Jesus talks about the good Samaritan. He talks about the, the priest and the Levite who see somebody who has been beat up and left for dead, and they walk by on the other side because they don't care about the other person as long as they're okay. But in answer to the question, you know, what is... Uh, well... Um, But Jesus says the one who's the neighbor of the man is the one who actually stops. Who is willing to engage the one who needs help. To give him that help. That's what it looks like to love your neighbor. We have not been called to be those who remove ourselves and separate ourselves from the whole world. We are called to not love the things of the world, but we are also called to be engaged in the world and to love the people of the world and to reach out to the people of the world to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ and and to do so in a way that brings forth hope, a hope and an expectation that is as solid as rock, that Jesus is who he said he is, that he will do what he says he will do, And that we have a hope not only for today, but even on into forever. This is our message of good news for a world filled with bad news. And it is news that is desperately needed. We are those who have been called to share it. We are those who have received it ourselves. We are those who have been empowered by God's Holy Spirit to share it. You don't need to know every answer to every question. But invite people to come see the man who knows everything about us and still loved us enough to die for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.